we're more than halfway through the WNBA season, which means it's time to take a look at the midseason award picks from the next. WNBA and college basketball writer at the next, Emma Adler, is here to chat everything from MVP and Defensive Player of the Year favorites to midseason Coach of the Year update and more. Ogumba Wallace for the win! You are locked on women's basketball. Your daily podcast on women's basketball. Hello and happy Friday. You are locked on to women's basketball. I'm Natalie Heverin, and I'm a features writer and the Atlantic 10 beat reporter for the next. Thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. And remember, Locked On Women's Basketball is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Today, uh, we'll be chatting all about the midseason award picks from the next, uh, what was expected, what wasn't, what there's left to prove, and more. Joining me today is the mastermind behind it all, M. Adler, who covers the WNBA and college basketball for the next. Uh, if you're new to Locked On Women's Basketball, a little more about thenexthoops.com. Uh, we have over 100 reported pieces every single month. We have a beat reporter on every single WNBA team. So subscribe to us on YouTube, uh, along with reporting uh, every day of the week, uh, $9 a month, $72 a year at thenexthoops.com. So, M, you gathered more than a dozen of us at the next to follow up on your preseason awards. Uh, first of all, I can't believe we're more than halfway through the season already. Second, let's just dive right into the results. What were the results of the midseason MVP? And was it what you were expecting when the season started? The results for the midseason MVP, it's pretty so it's pretty unique what ended up coming through um, in terms of the award. So Usually the way I do it in terms of being able to visualize it is because of how the balloting works in the WNBA, which is to say at the end of the season, when people have an official MVP vote, uh, they select five names and each name is worth, each lot is worth a different number of points. It goes 10 for first place, then seven, five, three, and one. And so it is very rare um, that the person who does that, first of all, the person who does not have um the most number one votes ends up number one in terms of total points. And secondly, the way it, the way to visualize those total points is I have found the easiest way is to visualize them in terms of total vote share, which is just the percentage of total points you can get just because of we, ha we have weird numbers going on. And Alyssa Thomas was our leading vote getter in terms of first place votes. She had six, Brianna Stewart had four, and no one else had more than one. And so they were the closest in the in the MVP race, at least at midseason, basically by less than one percent in terms of the difference in total points. And there has only once been a MVP race in WNBA history that ended up that close. Um, there have been two that were sort of in this range. If you scale up from thirteen people voting to the mid-50s, nearly 60 number the WNBA has, has going on this year. Um, I was expecting, you know, Brandon Stewart, Alyssa Thomas, Asia Wilson, I think we were all expecting those to be the highest vote-getters. They have been sort of the biggest trio in recent years, along with JJ when she was still in Connecticut. Um, 
I wasn't necessarily expecting Alyssa Thomas to be so close to Brianna Stewart. Stuff like that. You know, it's honestly, we'll see how the second half of the season goes. It could go either way. Um, I think Alyssa Thomas is certainly deserving of that um, recognition, especially with how much she has just led the team lately, even when she's not getting the assists. But it's really impressive to see that, you know, Brianna Stewart approaching possibly her second MVP, Alyssa Thomas could be getting her first. And they're both incredibly deserving candidates, both this year and on the historical scale. And what do you think needs to happen for one of these players to separate themselves? Or do you think we'll still be having this conversation about who the MVP will be in the last week or two of the season? I mean, I think if Stewie puts up a few more <laughs> 40 point games as casually as I'm making that sound, um, I think that's probably a turning point. I think in terms of the standings, Connecticut and New York have been very close all season in no small in no small part because New York continues to find ways to almost lose or occasionally lose to teams they have no business um, being close with. I think if New York cleans that up just as a team, then I think it, we it will sort of be the difference in the wins and losses will convince a lot of people in the media who, who do look at those and take those into account. That'll be a predominant uh, figure going to her. I think as far as AT goes, there's not a lot much more she can do. I mean, she is playing center. And since Bree Jones went down, I had this in the article, since Bree Jones went down, she's been averaging 14, 8, and 8, which is, again, ridiculous for someone who does as much as she does in terms of screening and defensive play. There is, in theory, she could put up more points, but with her shoulders <laughs> being what they are and her clearly having you know no inclination of fixing them, maybe she gets lucky with a, with more of the elbow jumpers going in, and suddenly you go from average scoring efficiency to above average, and that'll and that would tick up the uh, the total scoring, and I think that would make a sort of statistic a statistical difference. But I think it's probably. If she continues what she's doing right now, she has an edge. If Stewie and if Stewie just goes on a tear and or the Liberty clean their things up, I think it'll be really hard to convince a majority of national voters uh, on AT's case. And, you know, the Defensive Player of the Year candidates weren't surprising um, in, in our voting, but I just want to read this snippet of your article to the viewers. Uh, stop me if you've heard this one before. Alyssa Thomas, Asia Wilson, and Brianna Stewart are among the leading contenders for Defensive Player of the Year, but this year is shaping up to be the one Thomas can finally win a Defensive Player of the Year award. WNBA's best all-around defender, she regularly alternates between defending guards at the point of attacking and protecting the rim on the same play, enabling the versatility and adaptability the Sun play with. So do you think that this could be Alyssa Thomas's award to lose or, uh, or is there anything else she needs to prove? I think in terms of Alyssa Thomas, it's always been a little tricky getting to all the way to a defensive player of the year award because for the most part, she is not a particularly outstanding player in terms of stocks. And for listeners at home, stocks means steals and blocks, the combination. Some some places, I know CBB Analytics, use the term Hakeems for them. Uh, that's a lot less common though. You usually hear in the stocks. So she is a much lower stocks player than Stewie, than Asia, than you know Sylvia Fowles was uh, when she was still in the league. So there was always that disadvantage, uh, and especially when it was you know playing on a team with JJ, who a lot of people considered either the better or possibly more valuable uh, defender. And so I think in that respect, it's always sort of been a little bit of an uphill challenge. 
but this year is pretty unique, I think, because Stewie is taking on, Stewie is not only taking on maybe not more in terms of usage, but a more varied offensive role that demands a little more physicality from her and means she has, she can't do everything on defense like she did for the Storm. She's also surrounded by, frankly, just much worse defensive players around her. And when you are surrounded by worse defensive players, even if you're playing the same level of defense, it's just harder to be as impactful because of that's just how defense works. That You can't be a one-man show. It's, it's always four or five players playing together. And, you know, Stewie, the momentum has been building for her in recent years, but I don't think this is the year. And I think given the fact that Asia won it last year, and the fact that, you know, they added Candace, they added Alicia Clark, two premier defensive players, even at this stage of their careers. I think that is one of the reasons why she might be lagging behind AT a little bit, especially because the Suns defense is still good. And AT has to do more this year than in previous years. And, you know, as you pointed out in your story, Brianna Jones and Azari Stevens are in starting lineups now. So the sixth player of the year award was pretty wide open heading into this season. Our first place votes were split between Dijanae Carrington uh, from Connecticut and Las Vegas's Alicia Clark. Is this what you were expecting when we did these preseason awards a little over two months ago? Alicia Clark, I think, was pretty dominantly the preseason sixth player of the year favorite. And, you know, she's played really well this year. Um, her shot has uh, certainly returned in a way that there was some concern, especially on my end about that regressing, just given how poorly she shot in Washington. You know, she may have, as I mentioned, she's you know clearly lost a step from her prime in the late 2010s with Seattle, but for a bench defender who can guard two through four, she's everything you can ask for. So, you know, that has held up. She's, like you said, number two in there, but there is a solid margin between her and Dijon and Carrington. And I think a lot of that is just because you know, the aces are so good, how much value can uh, a bench player really bring to them, even if it is Alicia Clark shooting as well as she is? And Disney Carrington's lighting it up right now. She's Her her shooting splits, uh, since she got more time because Anna Jones went down, it's been something like 44 from the field, 40 from three, and like two attempts a game. It's pretty good. And you know, just providing the amount of rim pressure she has, she, is a, she gives so much defensive effort. It pops in a way when you watch her. Uh, in a way that you know some some other players might be good, but they don't quite pop. With her, it's super obvious, and I think you know there's down ballot candidates as well, and it's and I, I think it's kind of just kind of funny to look at who else is getting votes. Um, but, you know, unless Sebi Whitcomb keeps keeps hitting like fifty percent of six threes a game, or unless Dana Evans suddenly becomes a sniper from three, I I would be shocked if one of these two players didn't win it. Awesome. Coming up next, we'll talk about some of or some more of the individual awards, as well as coach and executive of the year. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets. Win or lose, that's 200 you can spend betting everything from money line to the over-under to who you think is going to hit the first home run. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on 
to get $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Thanks for making Locked On Women's Basketball your first listen every day. I'm here for you every other Friday and every Saturday. Make sure to tune in to M and the rest of our Saturday crew. They've been working on a great retrospective series, looking at old game film, news reports, stats, and more to determine the best WNBA prospect. So Em, I had the pleasure of editing your weekly Sunday column before All-Star break, where you went into some of the most improved player candidates. I was a little surprised how many people got first place votes in our voting, including several who weren't mentioned in the preseason awards. Uh, you know, were you also surprised? Um, and do you think there's a leader for who gets it or who has the most approved in the next several weeks? That's a great question. To, to go a little behind the scenes a bit, when I'm making uh, the graphics for this, I just manually pick the cutoff points for what I'm showing, like vote shares, the, the percentage representation of total points. When it comes to first place votes, I put up a table and it says everyone who got a first place vote and just organized by the number of votes they got. When it comes to voting shares, I usually try to put on like five or six names. I just pick a random cutoff point that is that somewhere between like seven and 20%, just where there seems to be a significant drop off from like a mid-tier candidate to the also receiving down ballot votes. With most improved, it was really tricky because you have four players above, above 20%. There's a clear front runner, there's a clear next three. And then there were like five names between 15% and seven and a half percent. These are all players who basically got like two to four votes depending on the spot in the ballot. And I had no idea where to cut it off. So just pick the drop off that came after number four. And I think that speaks to, and as you mentioned with the number of people who got number one votes is the fact that there's there really isn't a clear dominant front runner this year. You know, our voting seemed to make it clear that Elena Smith is the front runner. And I can't really argue with that given you know, the fact that she was not really good and was also cut in early in the season by one of the worst teams in recent WNBA history. And now she's like a very good contributor to a, a Chicago Sky team that without her would be much worse. Nope. She's very good in a lot of facets that we haven't seen before. And I think that makes her a very worthy candidate. I think when it comes to this, because of, you know, my having written the Sunday notes thing that you edited, as you mentioned, and also the fact that before that, just to gauge where I was at, in writing on those players, I asked in our Slack um, just to see if my thinking on some of the players I wrote about, like Jordan Canada, Michaela Onyanwede, um, how that stacked up to what people were thinking of. And that's the thing when it comes to our features uh, in terms of the midseason and postseason voting is we're always going to have slight biases in certain directions, usually to like if someone's talking about someone in, in, in the Slack a bit. So I think that's one of the reasons why Jordan Canada and McKillen and Wary were boosted there. Um, and I also think just because so many of our writers uh, don't you know, vote and participate, but aren't necessarily on one beat, or we have a lot of beat writers who, because of the way we're structured, they are connected to everyone else who's talking about what's going on around the league in a way that, you know, when the ballots come out at the end of the season, you have local writers and local media who you know, through no fault of their own. It's being a beat writer is its own job and it's hard and they do an excellent job. But 
they're not as exposed to what every other team around the league is doing at different points in the season. And so, you know, if Elena Smith or Jordan Canada come to, let's say, Los Angeles, right? Jordan Canada plays in Los Angeles. Let's say Elena Smith and Jordan Canada come to Dallas. And in the, in the two games they're there, they don't have great games. That's going to affect someone's perception of them. And I think, you know, we are going to have probably a more even spread than uh, the eventual voting might be. Always love a behind the scenes look with you. Um, but now we're moving on to what I consider definitely the least shocking result in this survey, <laughs> the rookie of the year category. Aaliyah Boston got every first place vote. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about her rookie campaign and why the choice might have been such an obvious one for us? Yeah, so I mean, Aaliyah Boston, obviously going to be rookie of the year. I think, I genuinely think that if she randomly got shut down for the rest of the season, right after you were finished recording, she would still be the rookie of the year and almost unanimously. You know, she is second in the WNBA in field goal percentage as we speak. She is the one player consistently getting doubled from Indiana and dictating opponents' defensive coverages. She has gone head-to-head, one-on-one in the post with, earlier in the season at least, John Paul Jones, Brianna Brianna Jones, Mecca Gumake, and was winning. Like, it's really hard to stop her one-on-one, even if you have such great post defenders. And it just speaks to how good she is at scoring when she comes into the league. You know, I I mentioned in there, just for my personal assessment, she's not necessarily an all-defense-level center yet, but for a rookie center who has not the highest amount of defensive help, that she's been given, she's she's still really good in that sense. And uh, moving on to our coach and executive of the year, um, in the preseason awards, we considered Jonathan Culp, the front runner for executive of the year. We still do. Uh, do you think that's fair given how the season has played out so far? I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Liberty last season barely scraped into the eighth seed, and this year they're the two seed, and for a very obvious reason. They acquired three all-stars, you know, all-stars from this year um, during the offseason. They also added some good role players, even if they're not necessarily playing up to what we know they can do. I think that is certainly a very good job by him just to round out the roster. And especially, I, I wrote this in here, but I think it's it might even be a little underrated um, on some public side knowledge. It's just how tricky it is to deal with the, the French Federation when it comes to trying to get Rune Johannes over here for Basically, I think it's going to be like 90 to 92 percent of the season. That's a really impressive job. I think it's I think I think it makes a lot of sense that that he is just completely dominating um, that award. He only uh, I believe he received. Yeah, he received eight uh, first place votes in comparison. No one else had more than one. Darius Taylor and Dan Padover bringing up the rear. I think that makes sense given how many new faces have come into those franchises and how stable they are and how good they are this year. And were you expecting Stephanie Wedding, Connecticut, and Latricia Trammell in Dallas to be the front runners for Coach of the Year uh, when the season started? And what do you think will be enough uh, to win Coach of the Year this year? Latricia Trammell was definitely my personal preseason favorite for Coach of the Year. Uh, there was certainly a chance for Kurt Miller, I think, just given the situation in LA. But I think watching the preseason and seeing how disciplined Dallas was and how just much better they were on the court and just how much more together they were than they had been under recent coaching changes. It sort of stood out as, oh, this is, you know, this is the obvious contender. And I, but I think paradoxically, Brianna Jones's injury actually is 
one of the reasons that Stephanie Light has propelled as high as she is, because they really have not lost a beat without her, and they have pivoted stylistically so quickly while still while being able to use a little more of the bench and really ramp up some of their role players' minutes and have them contribute even more. And I, I, I think that speaks to just an excellent job in terms of preparation and in terms of technical knowledge by the coaching staff. And do you think there's one or two things that either coach uh, can do to, uh, you know, wrap that up? Or do you think we'll still be having that conversation uh, in another couple months? I mean, I think if I think if Dallas overtakes Connecticut in the standings, which I which I don't expect to happen, but I think if it does, that kind of wraps it up. Otherwise, you know, if Connecticut somehow passes New York as well, I think that probably wraps it up in the other direction. You know, I think that Connick is going to come down to who ends the season hot, who ends the season cold, whether you know we see you know a, a continued arc of improvement from Dallas. Dallas probably can't improve more than they already are there at the they're at the first in the offense has been scoring hundred points a game. Like if they can maintain that, I think it's hard. I think that is what you're looking for with Latricia Trammell. Coming up next, we'll finish our midseason award conversation and hear more of M's thoughts about what to expect in the second half of this season. So for you, what has been the biggest surprise between the preseason awards and now? I think this, the thing that has surprised me the most is just how the ballots have been set up. Now, in the preseason, we always get a bunch of different things, of course, but a lot of them sort of tend to be in common, even if you know you don't see someone as tops on your ballot, they're at least going to be somewhere on it, probably a little farther down. But I think that's what has particularly made the MVP race in terms of at least what we came out with where the top first place vote getter was number two, and especially the defensive player of the year race where there were only two first place votes separating AT and Asia Wilson, but there was a really big gap in terms of how many points they got in total. It's really interesting to me that given how the season has gone, you know, they're, the aces are, are where they are. You have the Liberty and the Sun and the recent wings who are, I'd say, pretty close in terms of ability. And until you get to like Phoenix and Seattle, every other team is basically can beat each other or lose to each other on a nightly basis. And I think that that plays out in what I was saying in terms of the discrepancy between uh, first place votes and, and total vote share, because there's, there is so much flux in the season and there's so much that we really just haven't even seen sort itself out that, you know, a, a majority of our voters might agree that one person is better uh, than the other, and it's close because every because the other people might also agree, uh, or sorry, might disagree, but about one thing in particular. But there seems to be very little overlap in terms of the names in total. Some people might have AT as MVP, some people might have Stewie as MVP, but they'll also have AT completely off the ballot. Some people will have, uh, it seems like a lot of people had Asia as number one on their defensive player of the year, and AT was number two. Some people had AT number one and didn't consider Asia at all. I think it's I think it's fascinating the way that these different things have played out. Just because there is, you know, we can agree on who's basically all W players. Like that was almost a near consensus pick for those five players: uh, Asia, Stewie, Jewel, AT, and Jackie. For those at home, but there's so much disagreement in terms of how to actually sort everyone out, and I that's one of the reasons I love this season so much. Yeah, and it's definitely uh, kept our Slack conversations interesting, <laughs> kept our coverage interesting. 
Uh, always love having these conversations. And one thing that we talked about when I had you on the podcast for the preseason awards was on-court trends. What have you seen mm -hmm. so far? Has anything surprised you? I'm not sure it's necessarily a surprise, but I'll say the most interesting thing that I've seen, you know, I was talking about this with a couple of people who were the next four. Um, early in the season, the the, offense the offensive environment was super low scoring. It was weird. It was anomalous. And since then, it's basically just drastically corrected itself. Once we hit June, we are already past last year's um, points per game scoring mark. And it's continuing a year by year increased trend that, um, you know, other than the sort of artificial spike that happened in the bubble, it's a very constant trend since they moved the three point line back. I'm interested specifically if you um, look at June and on, it seems like a lot of teams are not only embracing, you know, Every year we embrace three-point shooting more, but specifically the way that teams are embracing pace and the way that they're embracing a specific makeup of player that really skews itself to the younger side of the league. And I think you know part of that is, as our Isabel Rodriguez so excellently covers, part of that is how prioritization affects the middle class. But a lot of that is just there is so much of a change between the, the young players right now in terms of their skill sets and abilities and the way that they are inclined to play the game. And, you know, veterans who are approaching or or just past 30 who came up in the mid 2010s it was just such a drastically different style of basketball and you know it really changes um what we're seeing on the court in terms of you know teams like the atlanta dream teams like the dallas wings uh in terms of how they integrate vets with the younger players it's it is fascinating to me and i i have loved every second of it. and what are what are we at the next uh collectively looking forward to most in the second half of the season? And what are you personally most excited for? <laughs> there is often a little bit of, um, of uh, not discrepancy, but a, a variety of things people are looking forward to. Because I, I usually ask just like, give me one thing. It makes it easier to code <laughs> to, to produce a nice graphic for. Um, and a lot of people said, can anyone beat the aces? Some people specify the liberty. I agree. I'm I am very interested in seeing if the Liberty can get there. They certainly have the talent to compete at a level that they really obviously didn't for a lot of the first matchup between the two. Uh, a week from this Sunday, we will have uh, the first rematch between the two as well uh, up in New York. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens in there. Personally, I'm probably most excited. Um, just as the sicko I am, I'm just excited to continue tracking the uh, the Tankathon. Because there are a lot of numbers going around. There are a lot of teams that are super close. You could have Phoenix with the number one pick. You could have Seattle anywhere between one and four. You could have Chicago. Give it, well, Chicago's going to give Dallas their pick anyway, so who cares? Uh, you know, do you have any updates uh, for who's leading the technical fouls race or, or preseason awards? Was Consensus vote was Diana Taurasi, but uh, she hasn't played... Um, for stretches during parts of the season? I unfortunately am not quite sure how to find that. I figure I figure if I ask Curtis, it's probably on across the on across the timeline, just knowing how he operates that. Uh, unfortunately we did not we did not have an update that for the, the midseason awards, but I but I promise I will do my best to check that at the end of the season and see who was the most right, because we certainly had a, quite a variety of names to work with. And including James Wade, who is no longer uh, the head coach of the Chicago Sky. 
Yeah, depending on how long the WNBA finals go, we might have the men's league starting up before the W or around the same time. So it'll be interesting to see whether I have to count some days he spends with the Raptors. I, I, these are the important questions uh, that we have yes. to ponder here. Thank you for joining me today, Em. Where can the people find you and your work? So the people can find me on Twitter at EM underscore Adler. You can also find me, of course, at The Next, putting out articles every Sunday morning called Sunday Notes on my thoughts around, around the league, especially with on-court trends and development. You can, of course, find me, as Natalie mentioned, on our Saturday podcast starting tomorrow. Not starting tomorrow, but if you are if you want to listen to it for the first time, that would, for you, be starting tomorrow. And pretty much every Saturday, I'm there with Hunter and Lincoln doing different coverages of drafts, historical, current. And throughout the college season, you can find our work together on the pod and on our site, ranking and evaluating prospects in upcoming drafts. Thank you so much, uh, M, for all that you do for us. And thanks to our listeners for making Lockdown Women's Basketball your first listen every day. Everydayers, make sure to follow M's instructions and uh, tune in tomorrow to hear from WNBA draft experts Hunter, M, and Lincoln.